catfight. As buskers played, Marla walked proudly down the Galway streets, dizzily looking in shop windows. She also stopped to survey the bank across the street. But she was distracted by some college girls. Girls dressed in their sexy tops and turning the heads of the Galway boys. Not at all pleased with the competition, Marla increased her boob size. As this wall majestically before her, she held her head up high and continued on her way, chest stuck out for all the world to see. Some boys whistled, and she liked that. Across the street, Deirdre sat in her porch and watched from behind her dark sunglasses. When Marla strode out of the store, lugging some shopping bags, she found Deirdre standing before her in the Galway streets. Pay for those? Marla ignored the slayer. She turned in the opposite direction and walked quickly down the cobblestone street, though she had great difficulty in her high heels. Every now and again she looked behind her, and much to her chagrin, so Deirdre walked quickly, but calmly too. Once they got to an isolated part of the town, Deirdre suddenly grabbed Marla by her long black hair. Let me go, you witch! Marla tripped on her high heels as she tried to break free, ill-equipped for a fight. Aren't you going to change into something a little more exciting than a big busted bimbo? You leave me alone. My husband knows people. Who will soon slice him to pieces when he can't pay his criminal dues? Marla began to cry. Angry tears. And she swung her bag at Deirdre. It clattered into the side of the slayer's face, briefly bringing some colour to her lovely cheekbones, but also some venom. Darkness began to dance in the slayer's eyes. In a dash of frenzied movement, the pair of beauties tussled, first in mid-air, then on the ground. They pulled each other's hair, and like a pair of squabbling cats, scratched each other's faces. Deirdre, quickly gaining the upper hand, pinned Marla to the ground and smiled gleefully, chuffed at her dominant position. Trapped beneath her, Marla's exaggerated chest heaved anxiously, and Deirdre could smell the fear from the shopaholic shapeshifter. Deirdre surgically pulled a stake from her pocket, for it was a move she'd executed many times before. She raised it over her head for maximum force. Let's see if we can deflate these monstrosities. As she went for the kill, the slayer was most pleased to hear the whimpering of her prey, to watch her quivering lips and the dilated resignation in her beastly eyes. But Marla managed to free a leg. She swung her knee at Deirdre with enough force to extract herself from the situation. The slayer keeled over and she gasped on the ground. Deirdre screamed several choice oaths in the general direction of the shapeshifter. But despite the temporary setback, Deirdre quickly rose again. A bitter look suffused her face as she squared up to Marla. With her long slender leg extended, she spun full circle at violent speed with enough force to knock off Marla's head, but she only struck fresh air. It was as if Marla had vanished too. All that remained were some clothes carelessly discarded on the street, her bitty top, her skimpy skirt and her tarty shoes. Deirdre saw a black cat scamper down an alleyway. Aha! Unlucky for some, she chimed. In the sketchy looking alleyway, 
there was no sight of Marla. Deirdre saw the black cat again, sneaking into the shadows. Deirdre pulled a dark metal ball from her bag. It looked like an iron shot put. This is really gonna hurt, poor little pussy. The slayer hurled it full force at the misfortunate black cat. The sinewy looking creature quickly jumped away, yowling as the metal ball skinned her tail. It darted into the safety of a pile of garbage bins in the corner, knocking several over. Deirdre walked slowly towards the bins, now brandishing her bow. Here, pussy. Here, pussy, pussy, pussy. When Deirdre reached the garbage bins, she began to metallurgically remove the lids. She was met each time with the ghastly smell of rotting rubbish. She moved with menace to the final bin. The lid had already been knocked off. She summoned all her strength and took aim with her bow. She extended it with as much force as possible. She had only one goal, to kill the animal. As she slowly approached the bin, she began to make beckoning cat sounds, as if instead of an arrow to the heart, a can of cat food was an offer. In harmony with the sound, there followed a mighty hiss. Rising at full force from the rubbish bin, its slimy skin somehow glistening in the scarcity of daylight, appeared a venomous snake. Deirdre screamed and fell backwards, fumbling her bow. With its blood-red tongue quivering, the snake hissed one more time at Deirdre. In mind-bending fashion, it then shape-shifted into a black raven that quickly rose towards the blue skies, soaring over Galway City, the River Carrum, and Connemara Mountains, and flew far, far away from the alleyway. Deirdre slithered along the ground in search of her fumble weapon. She too hissed, but in frustration, as she gathered her bow, she rose and dusted herself off. The only remaining trace of Marla was the discarded clothing. Tomorrow, she said, is another day for killing trashy demons. Hungry as the night. Jane kissed her husband as the lace curtains blew wildly in the wind. It was a nightly occurrence. Their bedroom could easily have been a permanent set for a 1950s vampire flick. Please, not tonight, honey, said Dr. Winterman. I have to, sweetie. Look at me. I'm falling apart. He raised his hand and touched her face, rubbing the contours of her visage gently. You are even more beautiful when hungry. She kissed him sweetly on the lips. I have to hunt, she said. If you must, I've seen some nihilistic skinheads knocking about. Sounds very appetizing, she said. As much as he liked to see his town devoid of some violent skinheads, Dr. Winterman's face was ridden with concern when Jane walked over to the window and disappeared into the night. Inside the Di Matteo household, Marla lay stretched on a massage board, 
as Tony gingerly rubbed her. Wow, she really bruised your butt, babe. We gotta leave this town, Tony. He'll find us wherever we go. He? We got more than this broad to worry about, babe. Mr. Bruce is not very happy right now. On Main Street, a police car moves slowly, doing the rounds before eventually parking by the weather-beaten seaside hotel, the Bally Strange Inn. Sitting by the steering wheel, Sergeant Crowley watched the streets nervously, praying for a peaceful night. When all alone in his patrol car, every noise seemed amplified beyond recognition. Every gust of wind, a crowd of rowdy gangsters blowing into town, its shrill whistle a damsel in distress in the dark. And then he heard a loud crashing noise. That was real. Being a nervous wreck, he jumped out of his skin. But it was only a bin lid rolling down along the street as the wind now began to howl in anger. It's only the wind, he said. Only the wailing wind. Inside the inn, Terence rolled on the bed as he slept fitfully. He mumbled words, words barely audible amidst the chorus of snorting snores, but one name was unmistakable. Oh dear drown. A figure crept out of nowhere. She crawled along his bed. As Jane touched his wobbling belly flesh, Terence smiled in his snoring slumber and began to talk more clearly in his sleep. Deirdre, my sweet demon slayer. His eyes still tightly shut, Terence reached out in a daze and began to caress Jane. It is I who love you, not Peter. I, Terence. His sweaty paws took many dreamtime liberties, touching and squeezing the full cleavage that gloriously hung over him. She slithered on his body and began to lick his neck. My love, said Terence between snores. My one true love. Jane licked his neck again. In an instant, her body became prostrate. Her breasts heaved and her head swung up. She opened her mouth and her fangs dripping in saliva growled. The bed squeaked. Terence suddenly opened his eyes. It took him a moment to comprehend. For him, the penny dropped, just as Jane's teeth sank into the generous lard of fat on his neck. His cries were heard for miles. Outside the inn, Crowley shrieked in his squad car. That was not the wind, he mumbled. For many moments, he was frozen in terror. Yet something compelled him to jump out of his car and run towards the inn. A sense of shame, he supposed. Once inside the inn, he tripped over himself running up the stairs. An employee pointed to a room. Who's in there? Who's staying there? Some fat guy, said the employee. Crowley raised his gun, his hand trembling. By this time, Jane was already crawling down along the side of the inn, lizard-like, to an alley below. When she landed with a floating-like movement, the street lamp illuminated a trickle of blood dripping down her chin. Her nightgown too was covered in blood. When she turned to face Main Street and quickly moved from the dark shadows of the alleyway to the civilized world beyond, there was a dark figure blocking the path. 
She walked closer, and she recognized the face. Going somewhere? asked Deirdre. Crowley, in a state of shock, walked towards the lifeless body of Terence. There was blood all over the bed. He began to shake. Murder, he cried. Murder! He stumbled away from the mutilated body and sat on the end of the bed. This town! This said no crime! He held his head in his hands. As he did so, Terence began to rise, Lazarus-like behind him. Jane smiled mischievously, flashed her teeth, showing no fear of the demon slayer. But Deirdre was not impressed. Don't show your teeth until you're able to bite, said the slayer, responding defiantly. You slay one gorgon, little girl, and now you're ready to take on the world? Deirdre pulled out her stake, saying, Don't, little girl, me, you blood-sucking tart. Soon, said Jane, you'll be on your knees, praying for the rising sun. The two sultry women squared up to each other. They walked in an anti-clockwise circle, each carefully keeping their distance, never taking their eye off the other. The manoeuvring was only broken when Deirdre swiftly swung her foot. Her intention was clear, to kickbox Jane in the face, to knock her head off. But by the narrowest of margins, she missed. Jane hissed, then grinned, revealing her sharp fangs to Deirdre yet again. But Deirdre only laughed mockingly. How will you like it, she said, when I hand those teeth back to you? While Sergeant Crowley sat in deep anguish thought on the end of the bed, something reached out and grabbed him. He saw bloodied fingers touch his shoulder, big fat fingers tapping on his shoulder. The petrified sergeant felt his heart stop. Squeaking like a defenseless little mouse caught in the jaws of a cat, Crowley turned around to see alive Terence. Oh, holy mother of God, cried Crowley. The blood instantly drained from the unfortunate policeman's face and in that very moment he pined so desperately for the crime-ridden streets of Dublin. Terence rising like Tim Finnegan from the dead was one thing, but miraculously rising like a member of the living dead was another thing entirely. What should have been a moment of joyous celebration became one of unbridled terror. The policeman stumbled back, tripping and then falling to the floor. He landed with an awful thud and, though stunned, tried to crawl away. You were dead! You were dead! shouted Crowley. Granted, he did not have a doctor's certificate, but he was dead. He was dead. Terence extended his evil hands and walked zombie-like towards the terrified cop. Crowley somehow scrambled out the door. He literally fell down the stairs, not even noticing one of the staff charging up the steps with a wooden stake, as if men rising from the dead was a fairly common occurrence at the Bally Strange Inn. Deirdre swung her long, slender foot again, this time missing Jane's head by a fraction. But Jane, as if by magic, disappeared, only to reappear in the same instant behind Deirdre's back. She held Deirdre by the head, tightly in her claws, rolling her tongue playfully along her neck. Mm. Now who's giving teeth to whom? But Jane's triumph was short-lived. She gulped in pain. She stepped back from Deirdre, and looked down at her heart. She saw a long, rusty piece of metal, something from an old church gate. 
It had cut right through her. She looked at Deirdre confused. She heard footsteps behind her. Out of the darkness emerged Peter, pale and undead. She saw her life pass before her eyes, an endless reel of countless victims, and then there was the great love she had for her children and her husband. She dropped to the ground in the dark alleyway, and as the moon rolled through the unsettled skies, Jane Winterman lay motionless. Peter stumbled towards Deirdre with a zombie-like grin on his face. I did it for you. I've loved you since our first night together. Deirdre briskly pulled her stake and shoved it right through Peter's heart. Sorry, hon, she said, but I don't screw demons. In the early hours of the morning, a man walked up the alleyway towards a motionless figure strewn on the ground. He got down on his knees and lifted the ever-so-still body of Jane, cradling her in his arms. My wife, my wife, what will I tell our poor children? He looked up to the heavens and cried. It was a cry so fierce and painful that it could surely have woken the dead. But alas, not enough to wake his beloved wife, Jane. Mm.